Hello, everyone. Welcome to Measuring the Score podcast, the podcast where we offer our opinions on film scores and the films they're inspired by. I'm Chris. And I'm Leslie. Let's get started. Welcome to episode eight. Today we're going to be talking about Hard Rain. I'm kind of excited about this one. But before we begin, is there anything else you've been listening to besides the score here? Yes, I was listening to uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Um, It's a score that uh, Mike uh, Hyam and uh, Matthew... It was uh, Matthew Marson, wasn't it? Yes. I can't read my handwriting. I apologize. (laughs) That That was the Tim Burton movie. Yes, it was Tim Burton Moody, and um, I read the first book of the series, and so I was excited when they announced that the movie was coming out, and I'm like, oh yes, you know, this is great, and then I watched the movie, and then I was kind of disappointed because they changed what I thought was some important elements of the book up in the movie, Um, but the other day, I was driving around, as I normally do, and when I drive, I think, and I was thinking, I'm like, I wonder how that score sounds, uh, because I, it didn't stand out to me when I watched a movie. It wasn't right. memorable right then and there. So I decided to listen to the score, and yeah, I was not very impressed by it. I remember there was only like one one thing that stood out to me with the score. There was a the scene on the pier, and it had like techno music playing and when I say techno music, I don't mean like, you know, it was the score with like some synthesized. No, no, it was, this was full on, you know, you know, type techno music. And I remember that it was so out of place and did not even fit the scene that it was made for. You know, yeah, that piece was bizarre. But the whole score, in my opinion, was very lackadaisical. I It just... Just very bland. It's just lacking, missing something maybe. Um, so I, I didn't finish it. <laughs> I got bored. It was one of the few times that, uh, uh, it was a Tim Burton film that Danny Elfman did not score because I, I remember when that came out and it was the, uh, Danny Elfman was kind of busy. He had a choice between that film there or the Alice in Wonderland sequel. And he chose to do Alice in Wonderland, which I mean, both Gosh, scored. it's Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and the theme that he created for Alice in Wonderland was, was fantastic. So, yeah, I, no wonder he came back to do the sequel. I love Danny Elfman's music, and I, I wish that he would have had an opportunity to work on both, if that's the case. Yeah. Um, because I, I felt like he would have elevated it to uh, a next level, and maybe it would have made the movie stick I think, out I think a little it was bit a, more um, in my mind. I think it was a combination of uh, he was too busy, and it was... The release dates were right at the same time, so he, he, he just he couldn't do both at the same time. That's sad. Yeah. So what have you been listening to? Uh, I was listening to uh, Raya, and the Last Dra- Raya and the Last Dragon, I can't talk, by uh, James Newton Howard. Well, you can't talk and I can't read my writing. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we make a great pair. No, I was listening to the score to Raya and the Last Dragon by James Newton Howard. It was fantastic. I listened to the first few pieces of that score and I liked it. I liked it a lot. 
see what what I was expecting because James Newton Howard. I mean, he's worked with Hans Zimmer. They did Batman Begins, Dark Knight. I really like his work. I really like James Newton Howard. He he's always every score he approaches, he always does something different and unique and original. And with this one, when it started off, it started off with a very Asian influence or Chinese influence. I mean, it has that, you know... Asiatic element. Yeah, thank you. And, and it, it started off very orchestral and everything else. All of a sudden, you hear, like, synthesized, you know, uh, uh, bass coming in there and synth loops coming in, and I'm going, wait, what? <laughs> This this don't sound like a Disney movie. Yeah, see, I heard the Asiatic part. Oh, I love it is Asian fantastic. music, but you know, then again, I do uh, Asian watercolor. I do Chinese um, watercolor or sumiyi, which is Japanese. And so when I do the that particular watercolor, when I'm painting, I listen to Asian music, right? Traditional Asian music to to get me in the mood to to paint like that. So. When I was listening to uh, the score, that's what I picked up on. I'm like, oh yes, this is nice. This is really nice. I, I loved, um, I, I loved the the movements. I loved how he had the female choir coming in there, and I mean, it was just, it was every single track was something different. It was something unique, and there was a lot of comedic elements in there. I mean, of course, it is an animated film, but it it was just fun to listen to i mean it was one of those as soon as i heard it i couldn't stop listening to it i'll have to finish it then i still haven't finished it and and the tracks are very long too of course i'm very excited to see the film especially more so now after listening to the score i watched the trailer and i'm like oh this looks great but you know i i was raised uh my dad loved bruce lee and he loved all of those um this asian uh fight movies and so i was i watched a lot of that as a kid growing up so right. when i watched the uh the trailer to this movie i'm like oh yeah that looks like it's gonna be a good movie disney animated kung fu it's i know that's fantastic. great fantastic well today we're gonna like i said we're gonna be talking about hard rain by christopher young now i picked this one and the reason why i'm so excited to talk about this one because this was my first soundtrack score cd i ever bought it was the first one. I had always bought a lot of soundtracks, and they and they would include the scores on there. But this was the first one. Uh, I remember it too because me and, me and my brother went to a wrestling match in Montgomery, <laughs> and I told my mom she was going to the store before we left, and she says, "Is there anything you want me to get?" I said, "Yes, I want to get Hard Rain." She's like, "What?" I was like, "Hard Rain." I listened to it because back in the day they had it where you could take the CD and put it into like the barcode scanner at Walmart, and you could hear a couple of tracks. Oh yeah, I remember that. And they yeah. had the headphones. Right, and yeah. so I I, li- I was just browsing the soundtracks, and I saw that, and I put it in there, and I I heard the the main title track, and I was like, "Oh, I really like this. Oh, I want this CD." So I told her I wanted it. And I almost forgot that I asked her to get that for me. And then when I came home, it was, it was, she's like, oh yeah, I got that CD one. It was like, oh, I listened to it so much that I ended up wearing the CD out. I didn't even think that was possible. I did that to the mummy. Uh, I I bought, uh, when the mummy came out, I bought the mummy soundtrack and I did the same thing. I listened to it so much and it was one of my favorite uh, scores at the time. And I remember I was babysitting for these two little girls, and uh, I was trying to entertain them. So I put my CD in the player, and they got scared. They told me it was scary music. 
and that they were frightened, so I had to turn the CD off. Well, and one of the things was I I never heard of this composer before. I had never I did not know who Christopher Young was. Of course, that was very early in my score listening day, so I didn't know a lot who a lot of them were. I didn't even know John Williams did Jaws, Star Wars, and I started when I started piecing all this together. I'm like, oh wow! So this guy did this. And this is before IMDb, so I was having to find this out on my own. So when I heard Christopher Young's work, and then there was like a CD insert inside the soundtrack and where he was talking about, um, you know, the score and what he did, how this was one of his really big action scores, and he wasn't really known for that. He was mainly yeah. known for a lot of thriller. Horror, right? Yeah, it was a lot of horror yes. films. One of his uh, more famous ones is Hellraiser. Oh, I didn't know he did that. He did the first two Hellraiser yeah, films. Yeah, see, I did not know that. Oh, yeah, and... Um, those we might have to listen to one day for the podcast. Uh, oh, I haven't seen that movie in forever. Yeah, it's been a long time for me. And and the last time, I, the other day, I listened to those score, like a couple of tracks, and it's, it's a wonderful score. It really is. And Hard Rain was one of these for me growing up that just stuck with me. And just kept sticking with me, and I. And yeah, then, you have this thing, this infinity for action music, and you love making action scores. I knew oh, you. Oh yeah, it's fun. After all these years, and so when I started listening to this one, I'm like, I can see why Chris likes this. <laughs> I I really like action scores, but I'm not very good at making them. <laughs> oh no, you're you're fine. I think you you do a good job. Well, I as as far like a action movie though i mean action oriented scores yeah i can do that but for like an action movie i've never really had the chance and uh, i always picture if i ever made a score for an action film it would be something like hard rain because that would be that every time i think of an action score this is the first thing that pops in my head because i mean this is the first soundtrack i've ever bought so it was kind of hard for me to aha you had a hard one yep, now I, <laughs> like back to the future <laughs> uh, hard one hard rain yeah. i know pun intended <laughs> um but no it, it was kind of hard for me because i i was, have such a love for this score to go and listen to it and kind of judge it so to say i mean because i guess it's like the rose tinted glasses it, it was it, it it really was hard to listen to it and pick it apart and see what I think about it. Yeah, that That's what happened with me with Back to the Future, our episode two. I had that same issue because I like the movie so much. And now we're, we, you know, we're listening to it uh, or we're watching it from a different perspective, rather, that we're listening to the music. Right. And watching the movie, I was afraid that it was going to ruin my experience with Back to the Future. Right. And how much I loved it. Now, Hard Rain is a 1998 action thriller disaster film produced by Mark Gordon, written by Graham Yost. Now, interesting note about Graham Yost. uh, He started off writing for Hey Dude, the Nickelodeon show. Oh, yes. I remember Hey Dude. And he's more famous known for writing Speed, which Mark Gordon also produced. And it was directed by Michael Solomon, stars Christian Slater, Morgan Freeman, Randy Quaid, Minnie Driver, and Ed Asner. Also, Betty White. Betty White, yeah, I you love can't her. Forget that one. You know, the plot is about a heist and man-made treachery amidst a natural disaster in a small Indian town. I am reading this off of Wikipedia. <laughs> and now, the the natural disaster part, it, I mean, it's a flood happening in a town, and there's... Um, he, they're evacuating. Yeah, the they're, they're all evacuating, and they're, they're, they're 
They're the afraid two, the dam is going to break. Yeah, that's what it was. And, and the the two bank drivers, which is Christian Slater and Ed Asner, they're they're cleaning up banks up and down the river, and they've got what three million dollars in the truck, and Morgan Freeman's character is the thief along with his crew, and they try to take the money. Christian Slater, Christian Slater takes the money, hides it, and chase ensues and everything else. Right from the start, when you listen to this score, I mean, it was, it was like, soon as it hits with the main title, it hits. And that's, that was one thing I really, really liked about the score. I mean, because it was huge right off the top. And, th- and this theme comes in and slowly, slowly, slowly builds just for the opening my, main title theme. I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, that stuck out with me, too. Um, so, you know, we were talking about uh, the release date in 98. The exact release date from what I pulled was January 16th, 1998. Uh, so this movie, as Chris was saying, it's a heist movie. You've got this natural disaster element to it. And it was on the coattails of some of the popular natural disaster movies that happened in the early 90s, like Twister. Volcano, Dante's Peak. Dante's Peak. So, you know, this was... Follow it, it fell in line with the disaster movies of the time. Um, what was the original working title? The Flood. The Flood. <laughs> well, see, and, and and it by calling it The Flood and Hard Rain, it, the whole natural disaster thing does not really work for the film. It does. Or the score, no, really. I, mean, I don't think so either. And, uh, you know, everything that I have read about the working title, they didn't want the focus on the fact that there was a natural disaster going on. They wanted the focus on the heist. And I'm like, well, that makes no sense. If they didn't want the focus on the natural disaster, then why is a natural disaster happening right. in the movie? I mean, that's what they should have done. They should have focused more on the natural disaster. Had the or have, the heist. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. There was a mess of problems with this movie. So Christian Slater was the co-producer of the movie, and then uh, John Woo was also attached to the movie at one time, and he left. Well, that's because uh, Christian Slater worked with uh, Graham Yost on uh, Broken Arrow, and John Woo directed that. So yeah, I could I could see that happening. But he left to do Face Off. Now, if John Woo had directed it, I'm pretty sure Hans Zimmer would have done the score. More than likely. And I don't. Hans Zimmer at that time was more into synthesized works, because uh, I, I remember Broken Arrow. It was a it had a you know guitar score to it. There were, I I'm not sure if it was a live guitar or not, but the majority of the score was all digital. So I don't the, remember the score from Broken. It's been a long time since I've seen Broken Arrow. Yeah, I mean. It has for me, too. So, yeah, I, I I can't really see that working. Now, the film was taking place in Huntingburg, Indiana, and it was actually shot a lot of it there. I remember the making of for this on HBO popping up. Yes, and I read about that, and I'm like, this making of? It said making of, and it was on HBO, and I'm like, why can't I find any more information? So I'm glad that you remember that. Well, HBO uh, back in the day, you know, they did it for Twister, and I remember I had I had the making of taped on. Um, it was, yeah. VHS. Yes, yes. I'm showing my age right there. <laughs> At least I it wasn't ta- on beta tape. <laughs> oh lord, no, no. I never had to deal with beta, but no, I actually taped the making of Twister back in the day, and I would watch it over and over because I I was really you big love that movie. No, I was I was really big into natural disaster films. I still am. I still love those type of movies although the natural disaster movies now are not as 
to me, not as good as they were back then. I'm a geologist, so I pick apart natural disaster well, yeah, movies. I'm, I'm, I know you do. <laughs> but no, and so T- Twister, I, I watched the making of, so when I saw the, the making of Hard Rain, I thought it was fantastic that the entire town, they, they built it all in a set. You know, the majority of the film where it's underwater, and they built it with tanks and everything else. So when they're running around in water and everything else, this is not like, you know, they're running around in one little portion. No, no, they built an entire town and they built it where they could flood it and lower the water and raise it however they needed to. I thought that was fantastic. Well, also, um, I read that at the time of the filming, uh, the movie had the largest painted uh, scenic backdrop ever used for a film. That that, that really is amazing because there, there were a lot of, parts uh, a lot of times now you could kind of tell it was a painting in the background but it still looked great you know at first glance you can't tell unless you sit there and you scrutinize it which um, we were <laughs> yeah granted because we were scrutinizing everything about the film but um you at the time that the movie came out i'm pretty certain you wouldn't be able to tell very well no I, i'm pretty sure, sure that it was well done i've never seen this movie before now so i can't tell you i, I was living in germany in 98 so I uh, didn't watch many movies. Well, see, I I didn't know much about the movie because apparently it was delayed a lot before it was finally released. And see, I I listened to the score first before I even saw a trailer for this film. And it, 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 this, I had such a big hype for this movie just by listening to the score. And see, that, that ought to tell you something right then and there about the score. And now the, the temp track uh, with his music was for from uh, James Horner's Aliens. Now, if you don't know what a temp track is, it's basically where a producer or director will go in and lay music out from another film and piece it in there to where the editor can edit the film around this. It is very particularly troublesome for composers because the producers directors they will and the studio heads too will get used to listening to that score so that is what they have in their head so when the composer comes along it's like all right he wants to do his own thing he wants to fit the film he wants to fit the storyline and then he can't because the director and producers are used to that temp score yeah i hate temp (laughs) scores that's why you like to listen to the the movie or watch the movie without the temp score every time you you mute it i cannot stand temp music there i am not going to tell you how many times i've come along and it's like oh no i want something like the temp music i'm not that composer i'm not that composer i'm not i'm not han zimmer (laughs) Hire Hans Zimmer if you yeah, want seriously. to sound like Hans Zimmer. It, was, it is one of the most frustrating things. So according to IMDb, it was the, the temp music was um, the score from Aliens, which composer, or composer Christopher Young was a little infuriated having to copy part of the score. And you can kind of hear it a couple of times, because especially like the Bishop's Countdown from Aliens kind of had the influence on the score. Now, I don't know how true this is. Because like I said, this is on IMDb and anybody can post it in there. Now, while the musical score was being recorded in London, several sequences were re-edited and the music had to be re-scored to fit those new scenes. Christopher Young had to instruct his orchestrators and conductor, Pete Anthony, through a video conference to do so. Now, that was state-of-the-art back in 1998. They didn't have Zoom. Right. Now, that's, that's, you know, kind of a common thing especially like the score to Tenet. Um, that was entirely due to COVID-19. That was entirely 
you know, through like Zoom and everything else. So back in 1998, that was state of the art, right? Very state of the art. I remember when they came out with the programs um, because I was a flautist uh, in high school, and uh, I was working, I think, on uh, a competition, and it was we got this new computer software. And we were so excited about it because the notes that we played, the computer actually recorded it and then printed out the sheet music. What was the name of that? Was I can't it, remember the name of it, but we were excited. It was like state of the art and I could play anything I wanted to in the microphone and then the computer would spit out the music. Was it Sybilis? I can't remember. That was a long time ago. Now, the producers originally wanted to hire Oscar winner Jerry Goldsmith to write the score, but they couldn't afford his salary. So Christopher Young lobbied hard to get the you know, get the job, which he ultimately did. You, you can hear the Jerry Goldsmith influence in the score right from the start. You can. Um, it, it's apparent, but it's not. It's not bad. No, he took his own spin on it. You can tell right. that it's uniquely his, um, which is wonderful because you know, as an artist, uh, we don't like being boxed up in a box where no. you know they they restrict our artistic nature. Oh no, we want it to sound like this. Right, and and even though he has the influence of Jerry Goldsmith and you know James Horner in there, Christopher Young still had his own style. I mean, the entire score. And it's very apparent when the harmonica comes in. I, even now, going back and listening to the score, on you know, judging it, even after becoming a composer myself, because it's been years since I've heard the score since before now. So when the harmonica came in, it was almost a little distracting at first. But then it once it keeps going, it really, it really works for the score. Just listening to it. Now, the harmonica was John. I'm sorry, I'm probably going to butcher this name, so please forgive me. John Baptiste Frederick Isidore Baron Demons, Dillmans, otherwise known as Toots. Now, I, I had never heard of this person before, I had no idea who he was. He was a Belgian jazz musician and became the permanent jazz harmonica player. Yeah, and you know, when you as we mentioned, when we start listening to the score, the first track of the score is the theme. And so you've got this, you know, action backdrop kind of set. And then he had the uh, theme come in to play. And then over the theme, you had this harmonica uh, motif come in. And the harmonica motif, is, it's got a bluesy feel to it. Kind of, right. uh, kind of like a, um, I would say, a jazzy, bluesy feel. And... Uh, it worked. It was amazing, in my opinion, how they kind of interwoven that into this melody that he already created. And right. then he added that other element with the harmonica. And, you know, the the movie was supposed to be in the, the mountains, you know, somewhere. And it was kind of reminiscent also of where the movie was filmed or the backdrop for the movie. It's in this, this uh, town that's, you know, in the hills. Right. And... Um, it was kind of reflective in my mind of that, but it was nice. I liked it. Uh, a lot of people say that the, the the harmonica was supposed to represent the whole Midwestern town and everything else. And that's what I felt. I felt like that. Well, in the CD soundtrack insert, it said that uh, Christopher Young said that the harmonica was to represent Jim, which is Morgan Freeman, and his crew. And if you notice when you watch the film, every time Morgan Freeman will pop up, 
you would hear the harmonica 90% of the time, which was, and it, it worked it, every time. It just, it. Well, art is subjective, so <laughs> it's whatever the viewer or hearer no, no, thinks no, about. No, no, I'm not saying anything <laughs> bad about that. I, and like I was talking about earlier, for right from the start, when the score starts up, it's big, it's bold, and it, it's letting you know that it's there. And it never really stops. Once it starts, the score never really slows down. And you can tell from the beginning of the score that it's a heist movie. Um, And it doesn't let up to the end of the score. So you've got this action-packed score of nothing but heist music. um, Kind of one-dimensional in a sense, which we can get to when we start discussing the movie itself. Um, But it's not bad. And... uh, it's solid. It's a solid score, and I liked it. I really, I, I mean, it. It, going back and even listening to it from a judgmental point of view, I still enjoyed it. There were still a lot of moments with this score. I, I was, I was getting into it. There's, he always used a lot of shakers and hi hats. Ninety percent of the score. Whenever the action starts, you're going to hear those those hear shakers of, comes in. That's right. You hear a lot of uh, drums or. Um, rhythm you hear you hear a lot of rhythm in there uh you also hear some brass you know come in there um and it's a nice uh it's a nice balance even though it's you know action adventure the tempo stays constant right um throughout most of the score and you know what i really liked was in the uh the jet ski chase part two is what it's labeled in the the score where he brought back that uh motif at the beginning but it was different it was in a uh, higher octave and a different key it almost is what it sounded like right and uh so it was re you know rewrote for that scene in the movie but then he also brought back the harmonica and then the harmonica was also changed just a little bit so i kind of like that element there where he uh you know kind of hid that theme throughout the score in a different ways right and that, that was the one thing i i noticed when he when he brought the theme in at the very beginning he always managed to bring it back throughout the score and not overdo it it, it, when it would come back, it would come back at the right time, at the right moment, and it would be changed up just a little bit every time. And I, I thought, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm such a fan of this score. I'm saying it just as, as a listener. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a great, well-orchestrated score. I agree. And, you know, I was kind of hesitant when you put Hard Rain on the list because, you know, I I like heist movies. Well, for one, you had never seen the film. But I have never seen the film. So, and it was an older film uh, now, unfortunately. (laughs) It's an older film. (laughs) 98 was like yesterday. But anyway. um, But I liked it. I liked the intensity of it. Um, I liked, uh, like I said, I loved the harmonica. Um, I'm, I'm a sucker for harmonica music, but then again, the I like blues travel, you know, blues traveler. Right. And, and the harmonica is not really used a lot in scores nowadays. Most scores, I thought, in my opinion, it sounds almost synthetic. Yeah. Um, it's, I, you rarely come across one that actually sounds like an orchestra is playing anymore. Well, and that kind of makes me sad. Well, I mean, like with me, I would not even know how to begin to 
orchestrate something with a real orchestra. Now I have ha- I have had live instruments in my score before, but never like a full orchestra, nothing like what Chris Young done. In which a lot of his scores now he he's using a lot of digital stuff nowadays. Which it still sounds great because I listened to a score to uh, The Empty Man. It was, it was. Is that a horror movie? Yes. Yeah, see. <laughs> a lot of horror movies. Well, I the last, uh, the one of the last uh, action thriller scores that he, that he did that, can, that I can think of, um, I'm sure there's one before then, but the one that really stands out is Untraceable that he did. It was a more of a thriller film. It was a fantastic score. And it, it, it did not have a whole lot of digital elements in there. It was more you know, an orchestrated score, and but he had a great theme for the film. And it the movie wasn't bad, but the score was, you know, great, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, it was. Fanboy being a fan. Well, it, <laughs> I'm kidding. Something kidding, like that. Kidding. Now, there, there were so many great moments listening to the score. The only track that I could think of that really kind of stood out as different, because there, there was a lot of moments, the score starts to, they have the same moment, same motif, same pace and everything else, and they just keep going, keep going, keep going, till toward the end. And it, it's this one moment in the score where it sounds almost like a, like a monster movie almost or like a big natural disaster movie which is what the film was not really supposed to be and it kind of took me out for a moment just for a brief moment it was um the end of the film with the big giant floods happening and everything else and i don't know uh back in the day when i listened to it as a as a kid i loved it but now going back and listening to it i was like it don't really fit the rest of the score I, I guess it was because of what's happening in the scene or whatnot, but I just remember it was like it, it was like the score is going and going. All of a sudden, it just stops for this brief moment. And you hear burn, burn, burn. Godzilla. No, yeah, I'm that, that's what it, that's, that's kind of what it sounded like. And I'm not saying it was a bad thing in the score. It just kind of took me out for a moment. I was like, oh, oh yeah, I forgot this is happening. It's the oh, big it, flood. It, that's it. It's the shining. You were humming the shining, weren't you? <laughs> no, 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 no. That's a different, you know. I'm not doing that for copyright reasons, but yeah. <laughs> That's what it sounded like. You were humming The Shining. But and and that was really the only part of the score that kind of took me out. The rest of it was, you know, I stayed with it from beginning to end and I was like I wanted to hear more. Well, you know, like I said, I have watched this movie before, so the score has been my first introduction into the movie and I liked it. Um even with that little offsetting piece, it, it sounded fine to me. Uh, and unfortunately, we were only listening to this on YouTube. Now, there is an expanded score um, out from La La Land Records, which I cannot wait to get my hands on. And it features a lot of different score pieces that were not in the film, ones that were you know, straight from the film as you heard it with the film, because there are a couple of tracks in the film that are different from the soundtrack that was released back in 1998. Now, when we watched the film and we sat down and we, you know, did you have any expectations? Did you have any hype for it just from listening to the score, you know, starting to watch the film? No, I just knew that it was going to be an action movie um, because of the score. The score was action oriented. So I didn't know if it was going to be heist, 
per se. I knew that there was going to be a lot of action listening to the score. Um, I didn't know that it was a merger between a heist and a um, natural disaster. I just thought maybe that there was like a, a, a rain or, um, you know, something going on. You know, I, I didn't know until I started watching it. Um, you know, and the first thing that I noticed, which you mentioned prior, was that the movie immediately started with the theme. And it was very reminiscent to me of our episode one when we covered Jaws and what uh, William's score did. It was immediate. You know, as soon as the movie started, you heard the Jaws theme. Um, this one here, it didn't even start the scene really good. You saw the... Was it Paramount? Yeah, it was a Paramount logo. It was a Paramount logo, and as soon as the stars went around the logo, and then right. bam, what, that, bam, and that was fantastic. I had to actually re- rewind it because the stars, right when they touched the mountain, that's when the the score keeps saying. I was like, ah, that's that's brilliant. It was it was beautiful, and that's when I knew it was going to be a good pairing. No, and it was great. It was it was a fantastic touch what he did, and. The the one thing he did when the when the score started up and you heard the the theme really kick in, and I'm I'm a geek uh, or you know nerd however you want to put it, but I like to hear the theme hit right when the main title happens. So right when it said you got like Christian Slater, Morgan Freeman, and Randy Quaid's name popping up there, and then when it said Hard Rain, that's when the title, that's when the main theme kicked in. I, I loved it. I, I love when movies do that. When the main title card kicks, I want to hear that main theme. I don't want to hear something else, hear the theme kick in, you know, before then. I want to hear that theme kick in right when that title card hit. And that's what happened with this. So I was like, yeah, this works. And I that's what it. delivered. <laughs> <laughs> but no, what stuck out with me was the score came out instantly. And then the way the movie started to me was kind of reminiscent of Beetlejuice. And you know how Beetlejuice started with like a panoramic view of the town and then yeah, they kind of get smaller. It, I, I call it the helicopter shot. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know the terminology. I, I'm, I don't either. That's what I'm saying. I call it the <laughs> helicopter shot. But it, it was reminiscent of that. Um, and then, you know, they kind of zoomed in into the town and then you hear the bluesy rift come in. And right when you see the town. Yeah, when you see the town, and it matched really nicely. And I was well pleased. Now... About the rest of the movie. <laughs> I felt like they should have either concentrated on the heist aspect or concentrated on a flood and not both. Um, so the movie itself to me was not the, the greatest thought out in the world. Um, I know that, you know, from my research after I watched the movie, the extensive time that they put in for uh making the set for example right. and filming and the special effects uh which were practical of course but i know that uh a lot of money was spent doing that but i felt like it was just too much uh but the score itself when the score was put in the movie um you know we just discussed that the score seemed actiony throughout the whole listening experience well the movie was actiony throughout the whole watching experience yeah there, there wasn't there a was whole a, lot of uh, uh character build up you know style uh, storyline everything character else. development it, no yeah no it, it, it was just it was just heist heist action throughout the entire thing and rain right a lot of flooding a lot of rain a lot of action that was it 
So um, I felt like the score helped the movie, in my opinion. And so um, I liked I liked how they placed the score. I don't have any argument with how they put the, the score in the, the movie. Now, although Christopher Young was known mainly for horror films and thriller films at that time, there, there were a couple of moments in there where you could hear kind of thriller-slash-horror-esque kind of coming through, particularly one piece I, I can think of right off the top of my head is when you see Jim and his crew first show up, when they, when the light beams across the flood, when Ed Asner and Christian Slater are stuck in the flood, and it kind of had a slight horror feel to it just just for a brief moment and then like when the with the dead cow there there's a big horror oh yeah that was that um what do you call it a jump scare yeah kind of a jump scare kind of there a st- uh, stinger there for a little bit that's it you a know, stinger the that's rising strings and everything else uh, and but other than that there, there really were no moments in there where you thought of horror no and like I just mentioned, it was seemed all actiony, and you know, so you've got this mini driver, her character, and Christian Slater's character. Um, these kind of seem like they wanted wanted to take it in a romantic direction, or that they were attracted to each other. But the character development in the movie seemed flat, so it just seemed awkward. There, there's something that I I guess should have been there, but you didn't feel it while <laughs> watching it, but. Uh, the music and, and, didn't reflect it either. Well, it, it didn't really reflect it either, uh, mainly because it, there was really nothing there to reflect it from. I mean, because I I never felt anything for those characters at all, you know, watching the film. And That's because you're a guy. <laughs> you and your action. Well, I... I there, there's there's times when you can have action and you can kind of break it well, up a little look bit. at, you know, and I made this example. Look at Ocean's Eleven. You have character development in that movie. You have a heist movie. You have um, George Clooney's character and his, uh, I don't know if they were divorced or was it soon-to-be-divorced yeah, wife, uh, and their storyline. But this movie here, there was none of that. It was just really... Well, one-dimensional. All right, let's go. Let's go for another one. Let's go. Broken Arrow. When you got Christian Slater and Samantha Mathis, she's the park ranger and everything else. You know, it, it, that was one of those films where it was action, action, action. But there was a lot better character development between those two characters, and there was a better chemistry. And I could, I could have imagined that in this movie. Um, that the chemistry could have been there if it would have been done a little bit better. Maybe it was just a. a choice of casting perhaps many driver um they did an interview with her in 90 uh 97 with empire magazine and she said that she uh, hated working on the film because of the tense and continuous wet conditions i can see that because it was constantly raining throughout yeah. the entire movie and that could have affected some of the the actor you know the acting it could in have the movie. Been. i know morgan freeman was not happy with this movie so <laughs> there, there was a thing he said he's like have you seen this movie don't don't, don't just, it, just don't. <laughs> and uh, the movie's not the greatest in the world. But the score, I think, elevated it higher than what it would have well, been elevated. That is the one thing you always hear in the reviews. The score is the one thing that is really driving the movie and helping it. Yes. So, I mean, and that, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to pick the score, not just because I'm such a big fan of it, but also because the, the film 
It's not the greatest in the world, but the score is one of the things that really elevates the, the film. So you talked to Christopher Young before we started this episode. I did. Uh, so what did he have to say about his score? I asked him, you know, was there anything about the, you know, any insight or notes about the film he would might would like to share? It's such a very, very wonderful person, too, by the way. Uh, he said one of the few times he visited the set, the town, it was on hydraulics and they could raise and lower it whenever they needed it. That's that's neat. That is really neat. He said no complaints on the project. It was a pure joy to work on it. And you can tell that. Yeah. You can tell that listening Absolutely. to the score. I thought that was just wonderful when I read that. So I was really excited to go back and listen to it. And you can, you can tell he had fun with it. So how did you feel uh, now that you're older going back and actually watching the film? You know, because um, you hadn't seen it in a while. Going back and watching it after listening to the score again, it it was, I I, I had a hype for it. I was like, I, I can't wait to watch this movie again because it's been so long since I've seen it. And after listening to the score again, I was like, yes, yes. Uh, and I back in the day, I, I had a fondness for the film because I liked the score so much. So whenever I couldn't listen to the score, I would watch the film and I would get to, you know, hear that score again. But going back and watching it now, it, the film really is lacking. Uh, there, there, it was. They were trying to do two different things at one time, and also, I'm fixing to spoil the movie for everybody. So, if you don't want to hear this, please, you know, just skip ahead or something. But in the film, Morgan Freeman and his gang are supposed to be the bad guys. Well, then it's revealed like part of the way through. Randy Quaid, who is a town sheriff, decides he's going to take the money and he's going to kill everybody else because they are witnesses. So they had this twist, and even Graham Yost himself said on the commentary for Speed that maybe that's something they shouldn't have done because it just didn't really work. And it, and it doesn't. It does not work because you, you got Randy Quaid's character, and when you first meet him, he's very kind and, you know, uh, warm and embracing-ish. And then Morgan Freeman's character is supposed to be the bad guy, but you never really see him as the bad guy. Well, it, you know, it was kind of off-putting for me watching Morgan Freeman, not just as the bad guy, but his acting. Because Morgan Freeman, in my mind, kind of pairs himself with intellectual characters or characters that have a pretty good character development. So when you see Morgan Freeman in this movie and he's supposed to be acting bad, he just... Even the way he's acting is not bad to me. It's more intellectual, yeah, you know, because he, he's the leader of this gang. Right. And, uh, you know, he really don't shoot anybody, but he's supposed to be a bad guy. Now, in the storyline, it's supposed to be that Ed Asner, who is Tr Christian Slater's uncle in the film, uh, set this whole thing up. Um, they He's been thinking about it for years and decided to take the money, and it was going to be Morgan Freeman's character. who was going to heist them on the interstate, but the flood stopped them and everything else. And then uh, a character by the name of Kenny did not know that Charlie, which is, Christian, which is Ed Asner, was in on the heist and accidentally shot him, which starts this whole thing off. I, I, I guess... By that logic, he wasn't really supposed to be the technical bad guy, but he's the you know he's the thief. He, he I mean, in, in the end, he even says it himself. He's just in it for the money, and so he's not technically the bad guy. 
uh, I guess that's where Randy Quaid's character comes in. So that that's one thing that kind of hurts the film. You don't have a really definite bad guy until you know the sheriff decides he's going to kill everybody and take the money. The other thing I was reading, and uh, Morgan Freeman said that they did a screening uh, of the movie, and the audience, you know, they asked the audience what uh, what do they feel like they need to do because in the original uh, filming. Morgan Freeman's character was killed and died. And there was unanimous uh, comments that, no, don't kill him, we love Morgan Freeman sort of thing. Um, I'm paraphrasing, they probably didn't say love, but, you know, they said don't kill him, uh, and he needs at least some of the money. So after they screened the film, Morgan Freeman reshot those scenes in which they didn't kill him, and he took a bag of money, and he left. And he's like, I'm the thief, and I end up taking money, and I survived. That's right. He said, makes no sense. So, yeah, it's kind of paradoxical. It it, it made no sense. Um, so, as always, whenever we do this, we we, you know, we we judge it by three different criteria. You know, does it work for the film? Yes, absolutely, in my opinion. It not, works. not only does it work for the film, it helps the film. The, the score is the one thing that really holds this film together. Because if it was not for the score... This film would, you know, really, really falter. And I, he, he did such a great job with that. And I, I've had to do that myself, you know, try to help a film out with the score, try to elevate it a little bit more. And that's what he did. Because if there was any other score for this film, if there was a bad score uh, f- for this film, it would have really, really hurt this film even more to the realm but of there's a obscurity. balance. So if, if it was would have been a bad score, then it would have hurt the film. Or if it was too over the top, it would have hurt the film because the film was just not that good. So I think that Christopher Young nailed that balance really well. He balanced it nicely. Uh, so when they put it in the film, it, I agree, it elevated uh, the quality of the film. Now... What was your favorite scene or favorite score piece? So my favorite score piece goes with just a theme that I thought was so... (laughs) I wouldn't want to say the word stupid, but it made no sense to me. And it was when they did the jet ski through the school. And it was was where they brought the theme back and reworked it. I liked that. I like how he did that. But the premise of the jet skis... Uh, going through the school hallways just to me was no, I didn't like it. <laughs> See, I didn't have too big of a problem. Yeah, with that. no, I had a big I mean, problem. With go, that. Going back and watching it, it was kind of cheesy. Yeah, it, it, it majorly. Was, it was. It was cheesy. <laughs> now, my favorite scene in, in score piece was when um, where, where things take a turn and Morgan Freeman's character kind of becomes, you know, starts working with Christian Slater. And he's like, you know, just grab the boat. And Christian Slater grabs the side of the boat. And, and the theme comes in, but it's kind of higher pitch. It's more, it's a little bit, you know, it's more heroic sounding. And and that theme comes back. I thought it was, I, I loved it because it was kind of a change of pace from the rest of the score that was happening before it. Uh, of course, that's not one of my favorite scenes. One of my favorite scenes is where Richard Dysart's character says to Betty White, you know, uh, you know, because <laughs> her character in the film, she's constantly bickering, nagging. nagging. She's a nag. And, and there's one part Christian Slater looks at him and he's like, you want to come with me? And then, you know, Richard Dysart kind of thinks about it. But my favorite, I love that. My favorite scene is when um, they're they're rowing off. Richard Dysart's rowing, rowing the boat and um, Betty White's just standing there. Hurry, Henry, hurry, hurry, faster, faster, Henry. And he's like, he stops and he goes, 
I'm going to row back there and see if he'll shoot you or me. Either way, he's fine. And she's like, Henry. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, and that's when, um, I'm not going to say the full word, but uh, he, she's like, he's a, you know what, do you want me to get us out of here? And she's like, yes, of course. And then shut the F up. I laughed so hard <laughs> when that happened, it, even back then. And I had to pause it when we were watching it again, because that whole, that whole part right there is hilarious. And it's much needed because every character in the film could not stand Betty White. They were always so irritated with her. So, so when that you finally get that payoff, it was it was wonderful. I loved it. I know I do too. And I was going to mention that. I'm glad you did. That is like my favorite part of the whole movie because the rest of the movie to me just was lacking. And then you had the jewel Betty White, the jewel that she is, come in, and you know it, it starts off with her putting booby traps throughout her shop because she didn't want anybody to loot it. And then after she puts the booby traps in her shot, uh, shop, you know, one of the um, either mini driver or Christian Slater yeah, was, uh, escaping from the bad guys, you right. know, stumble into the shop and trip one of the bear traps that she had. <laughs> and then it just it was so witty and so nice and so refreshing. It was to me the best part of the movie. Now, this is before Lake Placid where, you know, Betty White opened up that she has a very foul mouth. Well, she so. was a blue comic at one time. Right. And see, I didn't know that until Lake Placid. So to hear, you know, when you finally see Betty White again, because, you know, she hadn't been in a whole lot of stuff until Hard Rain. And then <laughs> that happens. I just weird. love Betty White. It was one. Everybody does. So uh, as far as favorite score to me, that was, you know, it was, I think the track is called Jim Saves the Day. And it, it was, it was wonderful. It was a nice change. I loved it. Now, what could have been done different you know as far as you know what could have been done different with the score itself I I really don't think anything yeah I agree I don't think anything could have been done differently with the score now as far as the movie is concerned I think they should have just focused on either the the dangerous rains in the flood or just focused on the heist when they created the movie I think it would have been a better film but as far as the score is concerned I think he hit it out of the ballpark with what he had to work with right and and as far as you're talking about you know a nice balance of the natural disaster or heist maybe it's just they couldn't find a good balance I mean because it was it's a, it's a pretty good premise. Don't get me wrong. There's a flood happening, and there's uh you know they they rob a, a, a armored truck, but the way they did it, it just there there was not a good balance in there. A and few questions, Chris. What number one? Why would they have waited so long to move the money? <laughs> number two, the Federal Reserve would have replenished the money lost in the flood. <laughs> Wouldn't it have? You know, I didn't know. Yeah, so you know, I, I I found some kind of holes in the plot, but I I think still speaking I like- of ho- speaking of holes in the plot, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but there was one thing that we both even talked about while we were watching it. All right, so the scene where Betty White um, and Christian Slater and Minnie Driver they're all at their house, and then uh, Christian Slater's like, "Oh, I got to get back to the truck because the National Guard's going to be there." And as he's driving off on the boat, you see Morgan Freeman and his crew sitting there watching him go by, and then they decide to go back to the house to get the, you know, to see where he came from. Christian Slater's there at the truck. He's getting this few stuff out and everything else. He gets a shotgun out, and that's when the dead cow shows up. And as he puts the shotgun on top of the truck, Morgan Freeman's there. There's no way he could have <laughs> went back, got the old couple, got 
you know, got them, left their house and everything else, and then beat Christian Slater to the truck. He wasn't in a speedboat. Exactly. That was one moment I'm sitting there going, okay, yeah, this movie is not that great. I think that, um, I think that it, they just needed to focus on just the heist. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like heist movies. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you could have had a heist in just a, like a, you know, a storm or something, not a flood. Well, yeah, a storm, like a rainy day, you know. Uh, it'd be, to me, you know, it would be like them having the heist during a volcanic eruption, you oh, know, kind no, of God, sort of thing. Be really dumb. <laughs> oh, Lord. But, no, so does it work for the film? Yes, absolutely. In fact, this is a one moment of us doing this podcast where the score actually helps the film more than uh, just working for it. And we talked about our favorite scenes and scores. And, you know, as far as the score for the film, not really much could have been done different. I mean, because it was, it was a very well-orchestrated score. For what he had to work with. For what he had to work with. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was really excited about this, and you know, coming back to it again after all these years, it was great. I I, I loved listening to the score again, and I cannot wait to, to get the expanded uh, soundtrack from La La Land Records. So as always, everybody, thank you all so much for listening. Now you can find us on social media. You have Facebook, you know, just type in at Measuring the Score. You can find us on Instagram. I think it's Measuring underscore the underscore score. Uh, Twitter, we're at measure the score. Send us an email, measuring the score at gmail.com. We love hearing from everybody. We, we are actually getting a lot of interactions. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple, Podbean, iHeartRadio, uh, YouTube, YouTube. Um, so yeah. And if you listen to us on Apple, you know, give us a rating, leave a comment, let us know what you think, you know, or just send an email. Yeah, just, we, you know, we're constantly checking our social media, so just get with us. We'd love to hear from you. So as, I, as always, thank you so much for listening, for measuring the score. I'm Chris Lott. And I'm Leslie Lott. Have a good one. Hey everyone, before we completely close this episode out, I want to give a quick shout out to two different podcasts. First up, Quite the Interview. Talk with Jack, who runs Quite the Thing Media, about just different things and aspects of the indie podcast community. He's going through talking with different podcasters about their process. He gives them eight different questions. Had such a blast talking with him. Also, Walt and Alan from the Wilder Ride podcast. Now, with that podcast, mainly did talk about my music career, but we also did talk about podcasting. And just overall, had a lot of fun. So make sure you check out Quite the Interview and the Wilder Ride podcast. As always, for Measuring the Score, I'm Chris. Have a good one.